Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Here for the start of another week, uh, I guess now we can officially say the, the countdown might be on until the NBA season. December 22 is the date that the league wants to start. We spoke about it on Friday's episode. If you missed that, you can go back and you can listen to Frank Madden and myself uh, talking through the potential restart on December 22. The Players Association have voted to approve that plan. And we now wait to see uh, whether this will get finalized. A few other hurdles to clear here. I will say today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. But I am not here alone today. It's a Sunday night, which these days, uh, many of the regular listeners will know on a Sunday night, we uh, are joined by the Bucks Radio Network host, Justin Garcia. Justin, back on a Sunday, this has to feel comfortable for you, but I guess where we sit with the NBA season in regards to hopefully starting pretty soon, the start of every week feels uh, pretty significant as we get pretty close to potentially seeing some basketball again. Yeah, and it, it, it um, I, I guess, in a way, it kind of surprised me how quickly it came, but in a way, it didn't because we had to move at warp speed when you consider that you know, for camps to start the first week of December, we're three weeks away from that. So the <laughs> clock is ticking. And, you know, we talked about uh, what negotiations, and you guys talked about it on Friday too. I mean, I, <laughs> I have to assume the big negotiation for the players because they seem to relent pretty quickly here was mostly over the escrow amount of, all right, we'll do this. But there's probably a wink and a nod and an understanding of there's going to be a decent amount of load management and the players just making sure that escrow amount I mean, we had heard as high as 30% or more, and it sounds like it's going to be around 18. So I'm sure that was the big hangup as they tried to iron out this 12-22 start date. So obviously the revenue share and, and the money that the players are going to earn and the salary cap, all of this has been a part of the negotiations. And again, I will say, uh, if you missed Friday's episode, Frank is always the financial expert of Lockdown Bucks. Anytime we have any cap, uh, stuff we need to talk about, uh, financial aspects of, of obviously right now a return to basketball, but with trades and free agency, uh, Frank's the man. He is the man we go to. So if you missed Friday, I uh, highly recommend you go back and listen to that podcast. Also, I will say today we are going to talk about Fred Van Fleet. We had a listener a DM about Fred, obviously coming into free agency. And also I want to talk about Eric Bledsoe as a sixth man. So we'll come back to that. But the CBA, and you know, you're kind of pointing to this a little bit here, Justin, but the CBA is the next talking point. So when I say there's multiple hurdles they still need to get through, obviously a major hurdle is the virus, which still is going to cause major issues for the NBA in terms of keeping the players healthy, uh, hoping to eradicate some of those positive tests that we've certainly seen almost derail baseball a little bit at the start of their regular season. And NFL continues to go through the problems with coronavirus, which is not going away 
in the US. So uh, that's obviously a hurdle that they're going to have to get to. But as far as the CBA goes, this is the next significant step they will take. So the NBA and the NBA PA uh, have extended the deadline from Friday. This has been extended a couple of times until Monday. So later today, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, uh, in regards to potentially terminating the CBA. So if if they can't come to a deal and if they do uh, go down the, this, this path of uh, the CBA being uh, white, then that's going to be a huge problem for the NBA. So this is the next thing that they need to do. They need to get through this. They need to come to an agreement so they can uh, push ahead uh, with this season. Yeah, and um, you know, there's there's still a lot of details that you you talked about there, and you guys went into on Friday that that need to be worked out. I mean, I would assume we're not going to reach that point where this CBA gets eradicated and and torn up, and and they basically enter, you know, um, not good standing here. I would assume they're going to get things worked out just because both sides kind of know uh, what's at stake here. And you know, not to get too off track, but I think the interesting part, the most interesting part for me in the news that started to develop the last few days was the the little nugget in there about fan capacity and how, you know, they, uh, I think it was Shams there or Woj that, that cited the suite specifically and 25 to 50% capacity. But even hearing that really shocked me because, you know, we've talked about it many times that I assumed we would enter this season with probably no fans for, if not all, most of it, and that the league would kind of put out a blanket statement of, you know, we're, we're not having fans in our arenas for the first two months and we'll reevaluate at that point. So seeing that it sounds like there is going to be uh, some inclusion of fans really surprised me. I, this is really interesting to me because when I think right now, and we've been fortunate enough in Australia to do pretty well with the virus and we've been having uh, pretty significant crowds at sporting events for a couple of months here. Not so much in my state in Victoria, but certainly in, in other states, and I know our friends uh, across the water there in New Zealand have been having rugby games with 50,000 fans and there's been no issues in regards to the virus. But to do that and for Australia to get to a point where they were having fans at arenas, the, the virus has been pretty much eliminated. I know the state that I live in, we haven't had a single positive test in, in nearly two weeks now. So I don't know how the US is going to push ahead with this. I'm not sure if I was living there, if I would be comfortable enough to say, yeah, I'm going to go hang out at a basketball game and watch the team play. But I would suggest that just based on what I see from where I am and then people, you know, filling up bars and restaurants and that type of stuff, I would assume that if they allow fans to come in, the people will come. The interesting part is there's going to be uh, a debate amongst all of the team governors and owners and each individual team where you're going to have to have this debate over how do you view what you're doing here in that, look, you can, you can make a strong case if we have fans and even if it's just in the arena suites and it's, you know, 25% capacity, but if we're getting that gate revenue, that means we can use that money to employ other day to day people that otherwise wouldn't be working, so we can kind of put that money back in our community, sure, but you know on the flip side, the, the good news for the players is and we 've seen this in baseball and football with fans too, the fans are going to be nowhere near the players, so mm. the the threat of spreading the virus amongst players from fans is almost non existent right so that 's not your concern, but on the flip side, 
is there any type of civic responsibility to say, look, this virus is still raging and, you know, it's worse now than it was when we first entered the shutdown and when we went through the bubble, it's at an all-time high right now. Is there some type of civic responsibility where, yeah, we can maybe keep some people employed, but if we're spreading this virus or certainly not stopping it from spreading throughout this community, are we doing more harm than good? <laughs> that's that's the decision you have to make and that's why I, like i said i mean i have no doubt that you're going to get fans that are going to come to the game and and that's everyone's personal choice to make but i, I just assume that you are going to get people that would feel comfortable uh going to an arena and it's not about the players you're right this is about uh, how how can the owners sit back and and we know that money drives a lot of things but how can the owners sit back and say well okay well we had at you know whatever it was ten thousand people at, at at Fiserv Forum and uh, you know several hundred people tested positive to the game after being there. I, I don't know how you sit back comfortably and are okay with that. So this is no doubt the challenge they're going to, have to make. But I, I'm really fascinated to see what happens with this uh, discussion with the CBA. Hopefully, um, from a basketball point of view, we forget the fans, forget all that sort of stuff. I, I just hope that they can come to an agreement so uh, we don't end uh, end up in in that kind of discussion and that kind of negotiation drawn out. Because if that's the case. It, there's really no chance you're going to start the season before Christmas. And I think, as we sort of discussed on Friday, at, at this point, for not only the benefit of this season, which we know is going to be a little bit messed up, but moving forward for the league, it, it is important that they can get this uh, season underway. And and also, I mean, as, as basketball fans, we just want to see basketball back on the court. So uh, I hope that they can figure it out. I wanted to talk about Fred Van Fleet. So I've got a DM here from a listener. This came through this morning. Uh, it's from Brandon at Nifters the Goat. I don't know what Nifters is. I don't know if that means something, but uh, that's the ad right there. So Brandon uh, sent me this DM. He said, hey, sir, I don't know if this has been mentioned or if he's available, but why is nobody mentioning Fred Van Fleet? Did the Raptors re-sign him already? Asked. No, not, that's not the case. Been a free agent. He says, also, I uh, love the pod. Appreciate the hard work you put in. Stay safe. So Fred Van Vliet, a player that obviously very familiar to Bucks fans, coming into unrestricted free agency this year. There's been a lot of talk about him. Will, will the Raptors look to retain him? I have no doubt that they would want to retain him, but also, I also understand as we all do that they have their eyes very much on the off season of 2021 and hopefully sign in Giannis as a free agent now this can all very much change if Giannis decides to sign an extension here in the coming weeks and maybe that would affect uh, what happens with Van Fleet and the Raptors we know the Knicks are another team that have been heavily linked to him that actually have the cap space to sign him but for me I haven't brought him up at all on the podcast because I just don't think I mean, I would put the percentage chance of Red Van Vliet being a Milwaukee Buck next season at zero. Uh, am I alone in that thinking? Uh, no, I would also. I mean, he's amongst the guys, you know, when we think about, man, it would be great to get. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is maybe tops on that list. But, yeah, it's uh, as close as you can get to a 0% chance. Just, you know, there's, what, four, five teams really that have cap space this year, and we've already heard a few – that are going to be heavily linked to Fred Van Vliet. So I think we're all kind of assuming it's he either stays with the Raptors on a – it would have to be some type of discounted deal because, as you just pointed to, they don't want to tie up too much for next offseason or uh, the Knicks are the team that we've all kind of tossed out there, a team like the Knicks. 
just throws him a lot of money that, you know, we've seen before. It's tough to turn down. Where do you think his value at? Because I, I, I've certainly had people tell me I'm wrong when I, I've said this over the last couple of months, uh, whether it's on Twitter and just conversations with friends, whatnot. I think that Fred Van Vliet is in line to get the worst contract of this offseason. I think that he's a, a certainly a candidate to be overpaid because he has been such a terrific fit within that organization and in that system. And he's had an incredible season. And we saw this year, particularly because Kawhi Leonard wasn't there, Van Vliet went from a guy that only started half of his appearances in 2018-19, obviously finished the season terrifically, had a great playoff run. But he went from 11 points per game up to 17.6. He went from taking only nine shots per game to 14 and a half. So significant uh, rise in production, significant rise in opportunities with the Raptors, but what contract actually would you be giving him? Because remember, the Bucks, if they were uh, wanting to sign Fred Van Vliet, it would have to be uh, probably a sign-and-trade scenario. And we've already spoke about the Bucks and their, certainly their interest, and as Zach Lewis says, they love Bogdan Bogdanovich. This is a guy that they're also going to have to sign and trade for. So that's what makes it really difficult. But where's his value at? Where's the contract that you see uh, for Van Vliet? Uh, or what money do you think that he's going to earn? Uh, well, so I, I was at least for this year proven to be wrong in my uh, my Malcolm Brogdon assessment where I, I just didn't think he was a $20 million player. And look, maybe that'll bear out to be the case next year and in the, in the years that follow. Fred Van Vliet is going to get more than Malcolm Brogdon, right? I think we kind of agree there. He's going to get around $21-plus million a year. And... I mean, I'm with you where that it, it has the potential to be a very bad contract when he's a good player. He fit the perfect scheme there for Toronto and was set up to really um, succeed in the position that the Raptors put him in. He's not a guy that can be your number two scorer, I don't think. He's not a guy that you should lean on heavily. He is a great third option and he has a great uh, you know, spot up shooter, and he's a, a great guy that you can have when things break down. You find Fred Van Vliet, but to to give that guy twenty plus million dollars, it, it's you know it, we've seen deals like that before, not just with the Bucks, but with a lot of teams in this market where you just have to overpay at some point to get people into the market, and it, it certainly seems like that's going to fit the case for a team like the Knicks, where you know you think about teams um, like who is it? The Knicks, the Hawks have a lot of cap room that these are teams that, you know, you, you need another complimentary score that you're just going to throw that money at him. And, you know, I think anything over the, the, anything over the deal that you're giving Eric Bledsoe is seemingly to me too much for Fred Van Vliet. And even that, it, you can make the case, is a lot of money for a guy who, again, I, I said the same things with Malcolm Brogdon, but I just don't see – Fred Van Vliet becoming an all-star type player and reaching the levels where your play starts to warrant a $20 million a year player. 100% agree. I think the, the Malcolm Brogdon contract is an interesting comparison. Certainly, as the regular season went on, expectations for what Van Vliet might get started to really skyrocket. And I saw some people saying that he might get as much as $100 million. And I, I'm like saying that, listen, you got to slow down a little bit. I know that he's been impressive in Toronto, but th this would be a horrible deal for him. Uh, look, overall, when you look at him this year, he was a pretty inefficient scorer. And I know at times that he was asked to do a lot, 
but if 51% shooter at the rim, that's really, really bad. That's only in the 20th percentile, uh, according to cleaning the glass from the mid-range, only 26% he shot from the mid-range. And it's his three-point shooting that really boosted things up. He shot 40% from three, uh, but everywhere else, only 41% from the field. So my concern with Van Vliet is if you're paying him significant money, then you're expecting him to do things offensively that I just don't think he's capable of doing. I can't not think of the end of the game against Boston when Kyle Lowry was out. Van Vliet was the guy that gave the ball and they expected him to get a shot. And he just got absolutely swarmed. But he's only six foot tall. He's not a tall guy. And if you look at me, the big concern clearly with Malcolm Brogdon is health. And that's a major reason why the deal to me was uh, too much and why he was overpaid. But if you're asking me who's a better basketball player between Van Vliet and Brogdon, it's Brogdon comfortably for mine. He's got the size. He can do more things defensively than Van Vliet can do, albeit the fact that Fred is actually a, a handy defender. But it's the ability to finish at the rim. But the thing that should scare you is that even Malcolm Brogdon, 61% at the rim in 2018-19 with the Bucks, that dropped all the way down to 51%, which is where Van Vliet is scoring. And the reason for that is because Brogdon was asked to do more than he was asked to do in Milwaukee. He was no longer only getting comfortable shots. And we saw the, the effect that an amplified role had on Brogdon. The, exactly the same thing is going to happen for Van Vliet now. If he came to Milwaukee, potentially that wouldn't be the problem because he'd be playing alongside Middleton, he'd be playing alongside Giannis, and potentially he could thrive. But I just don't see any way that Van Vliet leaves this offseason without being overpaid. Yeah, and I just don't see a scenario where his numbers from last year are topped. That I think that's kind of the ceiling for him. And for the, the reasons that you outlined in the comparison to Malcolm Brogdon, I, I don't see him becoming a 20-point-a-game scorer that if you ask him to do more – we saw some of uh, the issues that he has in that regard where he is great as uh, not even the secondary, but he's great as, you know, the third option. And in some cases, the second option where um, he takes some of the load off other guys, but in terms of we need you to run the offense and we need you to be the shot creator, that's just not going to be the case. And, you know, he, he was in the spot in in an ideal spot with the Raptors. And, you know, the tough thing for Fred Van Vliet as well is, in, in just looking through some of these teams that have cap room, there's not one that stands out to me as a great fit for him that in any of these spots, whether it's, you know, Atlanta, which I guess you could make the case is the best, mm-hmm. but Atlanta, New York, and Charlotte, the, the main ones, he's going to be asked to do more than he may be capable of doing there. Now, if he could find that spot, and, and whether it's just staying in Toronto for, you know, potentially $20 million, and as long as he's in the right spot, it's going to seem like a lot of money, but you'll at least get that production. But he, he enters that awkward spot then where you're still a productive player, but you keep eyeing that contract and you think, man, he's making more than these three players on the team when we're asking these other guys to do more. 100% agree. Yeah. It, it Look, fantastic player. I don't want to come across that I think he's bad. He's certainly not bad. I, I just don't ever really see him as being a guy that would really – be able to improve this team to, to the level that they want to get to. And I, I think that's the interesting question. And that's probably why Van Vliet hasn't been mentioned at all as someone that the Bucks might try and target. And probably why uh, they are looking at a guy like Bogdanovich if there is to be a sign and trade scenario at all. The other thing I, I wanted to bring up today, because this is something that sometimes Frank has mentioned 
over the, the last couple of months and even during the season and during the regular season, Frank would talk about this possibility moving forward. We spent a lot of time, and I've said I feel a little bit bad about it, how often we talk about it and how often it's in the news. Eric Bledsoe potentially getting traded away from the Bucks because I love Eric, Eric Bledsoe. And also, I always say this, he's also a very good player and he's not overpaid. Unfortunately, we know what's happened in the postseason, but he's not necessarily a guy... Uh, that you're desperate to get out of the franchise because he's a bad guy or he's a, a bad influence on the team. That's not the case. He's certainly even been unselfish to a, to a point, which I know in Phoenix, sometimes he was accused of taking some poor shots. He certainly eradicated that part of his, his game. But I'm curious about Eric Bledsoe, the sixth man, because... I've mentioned a couple of times now, and I feel like I can't get through a week without bringing this up. So again, I'm not saying that I want this to happen, but this is just an alternative move or alternative path the Bucks could go down this offseason. If they were going to acquire a Bogdan Bogdanovich or they were going to acquire a Drew Holiday, and it was a team that probably it made more sense for them to draft a center, then we've spoke about it again. Trade value when it comes to the Bucs. There's not a lot of guys that have great trade value. The Bucs don't have a lot of assets. Clearly, they could trade a center who I will not name. And they could get a package where you can upgrade the guard position, which many feel is the, is the priority for the Bucs this season to get ball handling. So in an instance where you do upgrade that point guard, but you make a trade with a team where it doesn't really make sense for them to want a, a guy like Eric Bledsoe, could the Bucks package some other things together, some other players that might be included in that deal, and actually retain Eric Bledsoe on the team as still a, an elite defensive point guard, absolutely elite defensive point guard, and he could provide the scoring punch that the Bucks have really lacked off the bench. Bledsoe last year, uh, we know around the 15-point mark, but his minutes were very low. It was around 20 points per 36, but he's a guy that can still score heavily. 13 times he scored 20-plus points last season, and I think his scoring ability still uh, is always overshadowed because it always feels like on a night where Bledsoe has a big night, then Middleton might go off for 40, or Giannis might have 40 or 50 points as well. So it always feels like his scoring output is overlooked. But does Eric Bledsoe, the sixth man, present to you as an attractive option for next season? Yeah, and you know, I've kind of had the feeling from the start that if they did make a move, you would be more likely to see a center move just because mm. the perceived value there is a lot higher. And look, I'm in the same boat as you with Eric Bledsoe where he's still a good player and it's, you know, it's almost like you have a car that's relatively new and it still runs and it doesn't give you any issues. But then all of a sudden the new line comes out and you think, oh man, it would be great to have that. Well, your car is still fine. It's just that car is a lot better. So that's kind of where the Bucks are at with Eric Bledsoe. Um, you know, and I wonder too if it, it, it depends on what some of the other moves they'd be able to make are because I don't think just, you know, going with Bledsoe and George Hill is the answer here. But even if you, you kept Eric Bledsoe as your starting point guard and you kept the minutes similar to where they are, and maybe they came down just a little more. But, um, you know, unfortunately, we just don't see Eric Bledsoe as one of your closers, or he closes when situations warrant once you get in the postseason especially. But, yeah, I mean, I think that would solve a lot if even if you moved him to the second unit and he then became that guy where 
he does some of the things that we all say Dante DiVincenzo does for that bench minus the shooting percentages. And, and really it's not like it's that great of a difference from Dante either, but he would be that guy that you could lean on and say, okay, we need you to basically lead the second unit. And you would see him still tiered with guys like Giannis or Chris. So I would be in favor of that. And, and I'm, you know, in that camp squarely that I think I don't expect Eric Bledsoe to be moved. And, you know, look, like we just said, he's still a good player, but it always kind of got me where you'll hear the way he's talked about by some Bucks fans. And then in the next sentence, they're talking about moving him. Well, if he is that player that you've described him as, show me the list of trades that you're going to get for him and the, the list of teams that are interested in the guy that, you know, according to your rankings, has no value. So that's what always kind of got me. And I, look, I think it is going to be difficult to move him just because of the value of that position. So there are other, other areas that I think would carry more value, and that's kind of the spot that the Bucks are in now where – you have to find that perceived value and you really have to hit it on the margins now. And we've talked before about the draft and how important it is to really, depending on whether or not the Bucks keep this pick to really hit it with the pick because, you know, other than Dante and Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, think about the other draft picks the Bucks have had where you're just not getting value. And when you're entering an era where we know what you're paying, Chris, we hope you're going to be paying a super max to Giannis and you have a lot of money tied up in, in the combo of, Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe, you have to find cheap value. And that comes most often with draft picks. So they got to kind of find those relatively inexpensive value guys that can kind of fill those needs for them going forward, not just this offseason, but again, assuming Giannis is here for the long term, you're not going to have a whole lot of money to spend. So it's going to be moves like that that you're really going to have to hit it on. And we've spoke about the Bucs and the starting point guard position. And the one point that I always like to make is that the Bucs don't necessarily need a new starting point guard. But as you said, they need a, a finishing point guard and someone that is going to maximize your offense down the stretch in a playoff game. Not a regular season game, but in a playoff game when there's less room and the closeouts are harder and you have more physical defense. You need someone they can make it a little bit more difficult than, uh, unfortunately, what it's been uh, for opposition teams defending the Bucks down the stretch. And Eric Bledsoe, again, as I said, still being a guy that's been able to score and have a big output. And, and to be honest, he's a guy that, yes, you can talk about his shooting limitations, but and I, I know you just mentioned DiVincenzo is the guy who we hoped was going to be that sort of spark plug uh, score, and it never really happened. He came late in that series against Miami and had a couple of nice performances. But Bledsoe, I think, would be a more reliable scorer. Put the ball in his hands. And and the other thing is, against second units, he doesn't need to be a great shooter because he's so strong and a good finisher and his ability to get to the free throw line that I think he would actually really be able to take advantage of opposition second units and become a guy that, yeah, he, he could still get you that 15, 16 points a night, even if he was playing off the bench, because we know he's done that in, in limited court time anyway. I mean, he, he has no problem doing it already against, you know, starting caliber point guards. So you imagine what it would look like if he's going against second unit point guards um, that, yeah, that would to me be the ideal scenario. And sometimes uh, just as we have final points on this, sometimes you're watching the game and you'll check the box score and it's halfway through the third quarter and you'll say, Eric Bledsoe's taking two shots. What, what game are we watching here? Why is this guy not shooting the ball? Why is he not being aggressive? Well, sometimes when you can be up to the fourth option in the starting lineup and you're playing 
uh, big minutes next to Chris Milton, who's getting his shots, and Giannis is always getting his shots, and maybe Brook Lopez is firing away from three a little bit. I've always thought that sometimes Bledsoe is too passive offensively. So if you do have him in the second unit, throw the ball in his hands and say, this is you. You're going to run this lineup, and we want you to score, push the pace, and facilitate. It could be a way of maximizing what you get from Eric Bledsoe in Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I reckon we can probably leave it here. In many respects, it's going to be a big day today because, as we said right off the top, the deadline is here today for the NBA, the NBA PA, uh, to come together and have an agreement on the CBA. And, and that, again, will be another significant hurdle to clear on the road to hopefully at December 22 season tip-off and uh, Christmas basketball. We need Christmas basketball. I'm not sure if the Bucks will be on the schedule this year after being there the last two years, but look, Giannis on Christmas makes sense, doesn't it? We've got to have the Bucks on Christmas. Oh, I would assume they would be there. And, and you know, that's the other interesting thing is the talk of, well, what would you do with those teams like the Lakers and the Heat and would you tier it where they maybe don't start until January? Like, once you go down that road, then you're asking, <laughs> like, what's worse, to have the Lakers and Heat start right away or to tell them, hey, by the way, you guys are going to be playing 30 games in 50 days. No, I think that I think all that was a little bit ridiculous. So I'm glad that the Players Association ended up uh, giving the seal of approval for a deal that I would have to imagine a vast majority, a very high percentage of the players wanted to go down. But uh, we can talk about that more as the week goes on. Uh, you've seen it today. Uh, as you guys continue to send your uh, tweets and DMs and emails, whether it's to me, whether it's to at Locked on Bucks on Twitter, you can get me at Kane Pittman on Twitter or LockedOnBucks at gmail.com. Keep sending them through because you guys are providing the content for us to get through uh, each and every day here. But Justin, I'm sure we'll be catching up again pretty soon. Always appreciate your time. Sounds good. Anytime. All right, we will be back tomorrow. Like I said, it could be a big podcast. We could have some news regarding the 2021 season. So make sure you come back and join us for that one. But for Justin and myself, we'll leave it there. We'll catch you guys tomorrow.